So welcome, everyone. I, uh, I say that to you who are listening online because right now I'm standing on the platform in the sanctuary, and the sanctuary is completely empty, except for a couple friends who are helping this morning. And uh, what, a, what a unique thing. It was just last Sunday, I think, when I realized that we would need to do some communication to the congregation as a whole regarding uh, this thing called the coronavirus and its potential impact. And wow, what happened in one week? It seemed like things were changing hour by hour over the course of the week, as all of you know. So uh, with all of that happening this week, one thing I didn't do was adapt the sermon to be a a kind of specialized message for today. Uh, But I think that's okay, because what was true about the world six months ago, or even six days ago, is still true about the world today. This world has a king whose name is Jesus, and King Jesus is good and kind and loving and wants all people everywhere to turn to him. So we will carry on preaching of the king and his kingdom from the scripture. And we're in the midst of an appropriate series for this time in which we live. It's a series for Lent called Christ With Us. And if you're new either to this series or to following Jesus altogether, you might not be familiar with the idea of Lent. Lent is a period of time that lasts 40 days and it's intended to parallel the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And it's really a season that invites us in to a similar experience that Jesus had where we grapple with the temptations that are common to all human beings, ambition, appetite, and approval. And we wrestle with those things, uh, seeking to live a life more faithful to Jesus. And in this Uh, In this series, we've focused each week on a different psalm. And the psalms are God's prayer book to his people. And in the psalms, we find the whole spectrum of human experience. Thus, we can relate to the psalms because we can see ourselves and our experiences in them. And in that way, they're a tremendous resource for us spiritually. Just before his ascension, Jesus made this promise to his disciples. He said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the Psalms really help us engage that reality that Jesus is with us now and always until the very end. He didn't promise just to be with us at the beginning and in the end, but everywhere in between as well, including the most difficult times. So far in this series, we've looked at Psalm 32 and thought about relief from guilt and Psalm 121, thinking about our help in helplessness. And this week we look at Psalm 95, and think about worship versus rebellion. But before we turn to the scripture, let's pray together. God, we do thank you for your word, and we bless you for your presence with us. Uh, We know that you make good on your promises, and we claim your promise where you said that you would be with us always to the very end of the age. God, thank you that you are with us now, this week, in the midst of a very challenging time for for really the entire global community. We pray, God, that you would pour out your spirit on us, your church, that when we might rise up to act as your church in this time, that you would pour out peace and comfort and provide for those, especially those who are ill and struggling greatly and and those caring for them. Uh, God, we know that you are good. We know that you never change. We know that nothing in this world surprises you. And we know that you indeed are the king. 
So come to us now, pour out your spirit on us, reassure us again, remind us of the story that is told us in the scriptures. We love you, Lord Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen. So we're looking at Psalm 95 today, and let me read that for us. I'll read the whole thing. Um, and, and as an invitation, because you're listening online, you could press pause right now and either grab a Bible or bring up this text on Bible Gateway or some other website. And I would invite you to do that because we're going to look at uh, some of the verses, and unlike being here in person, you can't see them on the screen. So, but I, I would like you to be looking at them as we move through this. So grab a Bible and uh, let's look at it together. Here's the scripture. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you are looking at that passage now, it, it uh, breaks down in, in roughly into two halves if you look at it. The first half is a kind of um, invitation with reasons. This is verse uh, one through the first half of verse seven. And the second half is a, a very pragmatic kind of do this, not that kind of recommendation. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those um, diet books called Eat This, Not That. I, I saw one one time and thought it really pretty fascinating. The point of that book is to help you be smart about food choices, especially when you're out to eat or something, because sometimes appearances can be deceptive. You could look at something that would appear on the surface to be quite healthy and good for you, but when you read the Eat This, Not That book, you realize you'd better go with the cheeseburger. That would actually be healthier. <laughs> uh, so in this sense, the, the last half is a, is a do this, not that kind of recommendation. So let's look at the first part. Uh, the invitation with reasons, it's, it's really an invitation to worship and then the reasons that we worship, a kind of how and why of worship. Look, look at verses one through five again. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. As you look at those verses, you can see the pattern. It's let us for, right? Let us do these things for or because these things are true. This psalm describes the how and the why of worship. The how, let us sing. 
Let us shout aloud. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Let us extol him with music and song. That's the invitation. These are some things we do to worship God. And, and the why, or let's do these things. Let's worship because the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. He holds the earth in his hands. The mountains belong to him. The sea, the land, all of creation are his because he made them. God is the creator. I mean, these are the reasons we worship. An invitation to worship with a reason for worship. The how and the why of worship. And you can see the pattern is repeated in verses six and seven. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Let us bow down, kneel before the Lord, submit ourselves to him because God is God and we belong to him. Not kind of, but really. In Christ, we are God's people and God cares for us. He shepherds us. There's all sorts of identity stuff here. This is who we really are in Christ. We belong to God. Invitation and reason. The how and the why of worship. We worship God because God is the creator and because we belong to God. Wow. That's, that's, that's the first half of the psalm, the how and why of worship. But then there's an abrupt shift, an abrupt shift, I should say, in the second half of verse seven. It moves from a kind of joyous inviting, the how and why of worship, to this pragmatic and rather somber, do this, not that kind of warning. It all starts in the second half of verse seven. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though, though they had seen what I did. Uh, as, a, as a church congregation, we're reading through the scripture in a year this year. So I, I know that some of us are participating in that and some have chosen not to do that. But if you're on that journey and happen to be using uh, the, the um, Bible in a year, uh, kind of program that we recommended. I think it was just a couple days ago when we read this story, uh, the kind of reiteration of it in the book of Numbers. Uh, the, the full story is in Exodus chapter 17. Uh, it's, it's, um, it, it, it happens as the Israelites traveled around in the desert as God had been directing them, moving, moving from place to place. And here they camped at a place called Rephidim where there was no water to drink. Let me read Exodus 17, verses three and four for you. But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now, this whole story happened in sight of the Exodus, the actual event of the Exodus, that was in chapter 14 in, in the book of Exodus. This is God's primary act of salvation in the Old Testament. God helped his people and set them free from slavery. And, and yet, though this happened just a short time ago, in this story, God says, they tried me though they had seen what I did. <laughs> they tried me 
though they had seen what I did. And it went so far that the people wondered aloud, is the Lord among us or not? Is God really with us? They were wandering in the wilderness and even though they had a very recent experience of God's very real power and provision and care, they still asked, is God with us? And, and God wasn't pleased with that. His response is telling. Back to Psalm 95 verses 8 and 9 now. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Really, the Israelites' forgetfulness is our forgetfulness. It's so easy for us to read a story like this and wonder, man, how could they possibly forget? They, they were just rescued by God a moment ago, and now what, what are they doing? But come on, that's your story, and that's my story. In this story, them is us. And it has a, has a couple points, right? The first is that we need to actively remember. If we allow our remembering only to be passive, we will not remember. We need to remember more actively, being engaged in the community of faith, reading and studying scripture, being in community with other Christians. This is, this is the first thing. But, but the point of this psalm, I think, is, is really this. If we don't listen to God and obey, we will not enter the fullness of God's rest as God intends for us. And, and the recommendation in this second half of the psalm is choose worship over rebellion. And, and by worship, I think we mean a life that gives to God what God is due. And, and worship leads to a life of rest where rebellion leads to a life of restlessness. And this, this idea of never entering rest or, or ongoing restlessness is a very real thing. It's mentioned in verse nine in our psalm. And, and the scripture teaches this restlessness is based on a broken relationship with God or on us clinging to some kind of rebellion in our heart and ultimately choosing rebellion over worship. And this restlessness impacts our lives and gets played out in different ways for different people, but it is there and it's visible. You can see it. I mean, some people self-medicate and lean on substances to make them feel less restless. Some people take a hermit approach and withdraw from everyone and everything, holding their restlessness and hiding it. This is kind of, that's, that's kind of my go-to response to sin. Some people get angry that life is so messed up and take it out on other people verbally or physically. Some people go for the gold, orient, orient their whole life around making money as a way to quell the restlessness within. Some people get married to try to fix the restlessness. That never goes well because in just a short while you realized you married someone just as restless as you. Some people have children and bank on this this a false idea that if a little one needs you, you'll experience greater purpose in life and thus less, less restlessness. That certainly isn't true, and those who have had kids know that. All of these things are misguided because they treat the restlessness as the problem. But the restlessness is not the problem. It's a symptom 
of the problem. And this, by the way, is the fundamental error of most self-help books. They misdiagnose the problem and instead name a symptom as the problem itself. So track with me here. The Bible talks about the time when we started feeling this restlessness, this dissatisfaction with life. It comes in Genesis 3, the fall, when we chose rebellion over worship and very quickly began feeling guilt and shame. Guilt because we actually were guilty and shame because we knew we were actually guilty. And if you remember the story, Adam and Eve responded by trying to hide in the bushes, hide behind the trees from God. It started this life of hiding and this life of separation in our relationships. And and the Bible very intentionally moves from Genesis 3 to Genesis 4. We, We fall from grace with God and there's separation and the story of Genesis 4 is the first murder. That's how quickly things go south. We see how sin separates us from God and how deeply that separation creates restlessness and dissatisfaction in our lives. We see that in the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. And Cain ultimately kills his brother Abel and and God then uh, says some things to Cain, really places a curse on him. And and Cain responds to that by saying this. I'm reading now Genesis chapter 4 verses 13 and 14. My punishment is more than I can bear. I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. You see, experientially, what we experience in our life because of sin, experientially, the curse of sin is spiritual restlessness. This perpetual feeling that I need something more or different than I have now. Thus the list of things we do to try to meet that need and get the rest of spirit and lasting satisfaction we so desperately crave. And the amazing thing is that we're so desperate we keep chasing after things that have already disappointed us in the past, clinging to the hope that they might somehow in some way deliver a different result this time. This really speaks to our, our spiritual state, right? We, we really are like sheep who have gone astray. This theme of restlessness shows up all over the place in the Bible and it shows up as the symptom of a greater problem and the greater problem is separation from God. Augustine of Hippo nailed this in his book uh, Confessions. He wrote this, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And this psalm, Psalm 95, acknowledges the big problem and it tells us what to do to combat that restlessness as the people of God. It's a very practical, do this, not that kind of guide. Choose worship over rebellion. Listen and do not harden your hearts. And God is speaking to us right now in, in our wandering, in our fear, in our uncertainty, uh, in the crazy season of life in which this world finds itself. And Psalm 95 says this, today, if only you would hear his voice, if we would just listen today, the Lord is speaking. Are, Are we listening? Do we know how to try to listen? Here are some questions 
do you regularly try to listen to God? If so, how do you do that? What do you do to listen to God? What have you found helpful in listening to God? Now, I know, I know, some of us might never have had an experience where we could say, oh, that was definitely God's voice. I heard it. It was absolutely clear. I know that. And, and I get that. I'm not saying you have to have some kind of lightning bolt spiritual experience to, to know that you've heard God. I, I'm just trying to focus on what Jesus told us in John 10. Listen to this. This is John 10, verse 27. Jesus speaking. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It sure seems to me that Jesus promised that we would be able to hear him. Not just to have a warm kind of religious spiritual experience and, and a feeling of assurance that God actually loves us and that we belong to him and that's all very important. I think Jesus was saying that we'd be able to hear him with enough clarity that we could actually make decisions in our life, mid-course corrections, so as to follow Jesus better in our lives. I, I take all of that to mean that God speaks to us clearly and in such a way that he will give clear direction to our lives if only we'd listen to him. And I'm not suggesting that we can do all of this all by ourselves. I think we need to do this with other followers of Jesus in community, but I think the promise is real. So in that sense, the two most important questions of discipleship could be these. What is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? What is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? And listen and worship in many ways, worship is the first step in listening. The pattern of this psalm is that. Did you catch it? The pattern of the psalm is worship and listen. And, and by worship, we don't just mean come to church. I mean, physical presence in a worship service is, is meaningful. It's good to be gathered. But it does not at all mean that you've entered God's rest, spiritually speaking, just by attending a service. I mean, worship is making God the center and purpose of your existence, of offering, offering something to God that God desires. Worship is giving God the glory and honor of which he is worthy. And we can all do these things wherever we are, especially today. We are not a gathered church. We're a scattered church because of these circumstances. But we can worship. I remember as, as a young Christian, right after I'd come to faith, I read... Um, the book of Genesis, and I don't know the exact verse. I'm, I'm just thinking of it now. This wasn't written into my message, but uh, I remember reading about Jacob, Israel, as he was an elderly man. I think it was after um, uh, he was reunited with his son Joseph in Egypt, and all the brothers were kind of reconciled. There's, there's a verse in there that said that Jacob leaned on his staff and worshiped. It wasn't a church service. It wasn't a formal gathering of worship. He simply leaned on his staff as a very elderly man, observing what was happening 
in relationships around him. And he worshiped God. We, we worship. We listen. These are the things we do to seek the Lord. And they are the things that result in real rest and lasting satisfaction in this life. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says this, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And remember the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. God wants to be worshipped. We crave real rest and lasting satisfaction. These things are two sides of the same coin. The fact that God wants to be worshipped and the fact that we want real rest and lasting satisfaction. Those things are two sides of the same coin. When we worship, we experience rest and satisfaction. Choose to worship rather than rebel. That's the key to real rest and lasting satisfaction. And, and finally today, I was reminded this, uh, this week of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. There's a, there's a host of uh, great stuff in this, in this uh, passage in, in larger context. You should read that, I, beginning of Isaiah 61. But there's a line in verse 3 that says this, um, God, that God will give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And there was a song back in the, in the 90s, I think. It, it's quite dated now, but the line said, or the chorus said, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And it got to this idea that if, if we're feeling low, if we're feeling heavy or afraid or uncertain, it's possible to choose worship as a remedy to that experience. That, that in the midst of our, our heaviness and our, our depression, our fear, our feelings of uncertainty, we still have the capacity to choose to worship God. To, to give God our, our praise and, and to thank the Lord and to worship him and bless him for all that, all that God has done for us in, in Jesus. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When you're feeling down, worship. When you're feeling scared, worship. When you're feeling uncertain, worship. And, and in this unprecedented season, let me encourage you. More than that, let me challenge you. Find some way to worship God actively in this season by embodying Matthew 25 to someone else. So first, go read Matthew 25 and then listen to the challenge again. Find some way to worship God actively by embodying Matthew 25 to someone else. Now be careful. Abide by the social distancing recommendations, all of that. But act. Demonstrate sacrificial love for others. Whatever that might look like for you. Write notes of encouragement. Or make a phone call a day to an elderly friend who might be feeling particularly vulnerable or isolated. I mean, pray through this and listen to how the Lord might guide you 
in this. God is speaking to us right now, inviting us, all of us, all people everywhere, I believe, into a deeper relationship with him where there is peace and rest. So, worship the Lord. Set your heart and life on the Lord. And listen. Today, if only you would hear his voice. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for the way that you speak to us through it. Thank you for this great truth that we can give to you something that you desire, our worship, and that you are worthy of that worship. And together as a whole people, Lord, we confess to you that we're pretty good at hardening our hearts. And we'd like to become better at listening to you and turning to you more quickly. So would you pour out your spirit on us and help us turn to you and hear you. God, help us to hear you. Make your voice clear. And mobilize your church, O Lord, to act in this season and to be your hands and feet in this world to demonstrate to everyone everywhere that you love us and want us to turn to you, that you care for us, that you're good. Indeed, that you are the king. We love you, King Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen.